Hey Shane, can you sing me that one song you know? Welcome to Frustration Nation, the FN podcast for FN fans of FN sports teams. On this podcast, we explore the heartbreak, horror, and humiliation of what it means to be a diehard fan. I'm your pessimistic host and Chicago fan, Kyle George, and I'm here with my miserable co-host and Detroit fan, Shane Westwood. Shane, what we got going this week? So far, you've heard us get depressed about our MLB and NFL teams. Today, we're continuing that trend, starting with the NBA. Today, maybe today... We'll have good, uplifting conversation as we cover the Bulls and Pistons. Two teams with prolific histories and some pretty full trophy cases, but more than likely, unleashed anger will ensue. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, so getting into the NBA. The NBA, I feel like I have kind of a, I guess love hate relationship. Uh, more like not love hate, more like hot and cold, on and off. Mm. And I think it depends a lot about which players uh, are on which teams and which ones I like. Uh, for me, this current era of the NBA has been a little rocky for me because I'm really far from the far from a LeBron fan. I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a LeBron hater, but I'm not really a fan, mm. and I really have no reason why. Other than something that I'll get to later in my Bulls segment. So, well, yeah, we'll look forward to that because, yeah, I actually like LeBron quite a bit. So, we'll oh, have oh, some interesting well, there discussion there. Yeah. I didn't even know that that's interesting. Which I actually don't have reason to. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have good reason not to. But, yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> we could have a LeBron episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, my earliest memory of the Bulls. Well, unfortunately, I was born during the middle of the 90s, so that means that I don't remember anything from the 90s Bulls, which Mm. just sucks, frankly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My earliest memory of Michael Jordan is Space Jam, which (laughs) even though it's really not a very good movie, it's I just love it. I think it's a great movie. Yeah, it all depends on when you first saw it, probably, but I I love it. Definitely. So I remember him on Space Jam, and I remember Michael Jordan on the Washington Wizards. I don't remember... The first time I remember Scottie Pippen is when he returned to the Bulls in 2003-2004, but I don't really remember watching him very much. I knew at the time that the Lakers were like the best team, and I was under the impression that Allen Iverson was the best player, but that... I know that would be up for debate too, but that mm-hmm. for me was mainly based on the movie Like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Another great movie. Yeah. Classic. Oh man. I wanted an Allison, an Al, not Allison. I wanted an Allen Iverson jersey in the worst way because mm-hmm. I thought Calvin Cambridge of the LA Knights was super cool. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when we'll talk about the Pistons too, but um, he played for the Pistons for a little bit. Was it like two years or something? And I Calvin wanted Calvin a- Cambridge? <laughs> I wish, no. <laughs> but I wanted an Iverson Pistons jersey so bad, and then it just was not good. So I did. What's stopping you? I still could, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. You get you get AI, and you get D Rose, and you get Blake Griffin, like at the short ends of the, their careers. <laughs> yeah, where, where legends go to die. <laughs> it's like Florida. You go to their Pistons to retire. <laughs> to retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, like Mike, may I just add, is... One of the one of the reasons I always loved that movie is because the LA Knights go on a like undefeated run when Calvin Cambridge joins the team, and they lose to the, their only loss before the playoffs is to the Bulls. Is it? Oh yeah, because and I that always made me so happy that they chose the Bulls as the team that beat them. <laughs> And the reason I always remember that is because their coach, there's a scene where they're like it shows their successes and then it shows the score at the end of the game against the Bulls and they lost by like a point. And their coach shouts, he's like, how could we lose to the Bulls? 
Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Made me so happy when that happened. So those are some of my earliest, I guess, basketball memories in general. For the Bulls, I liked Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. It's wild to me that Tyson Chandler still plays. I'm not sure for who. He's been pretty Does much start? everywhere. No, no, no. He He's definitely bench. Uh, okay. But he yeah. he was I, – I really liked him on the Bulls. And then I know mm. he was on the Knicks for a while, and he's been all over the place. He probably was on the Warriors at some time to try to win a title. <laughs> so those were the players I remember from early on. Mm-hmm. But I knew – I knew that the Bulls were really, really bad. And I knew that largely based on my Sega-produced NBA 2K2 game that I had for my GameCube, which is dating me. But I remember the Bulls had like the lowest rating in the game. And it was hard for me to fathom that because I had I had heard of Michael Jordan and how could the Bulls have been so bad even without him? You know, it was confusing to me. And what was even more frustrating was that that game mm-hmm. had 80s and 90s all-star teams, but didn't have Jordan or Pippen on either one. And I, it made me so mad. It, and it, it's obvious they did that because they were too much of like a cheat code. But, I mean, if we're really yeah. talking about a, a cheat, how about the fact that my parents probably spent like $35 for that game and it didn't have Jordan or Pippen in their prime? <laughs> Even games now that are further removed from Jordan and Pippen than that game was have throwbacks where you can play as Jordan and Pippen. That's really yeah, weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My first thought, I wonder if it's like a licensing issue or something because I, I don't know why they wouldn't have them. That's weird. It could have been at the time. And I mean, that's still early on in 2K history. Mm. So they might have... Couldn't afford those likenesses or something, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's actually an interesting point. I wonder, yeah. That's I probably... That has to be what it is. Yeah, in that game, Jordan's on the Wizards and Pippen is on the trailblazers also who is the oh i'm totally blanking on his name patrick Mm. ewing patrick ewing's on the atlanta hawks in that Hmm. game another one of those ones where you're just like you forget players played for certain teams anyway kind of like tom brady on the buccaneers yeah or like the big one for me is Favre. (laughs) i mean we're getting back to nfl but like forgetting he played for the jets you know (laughs) yeah yeah like i distinctly remember Favre on the vikings but i Mm -hmm. his one year on the Jets is very forgettable for me. Just remembered by the controversy, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the pictures uh, he sent. I was going to say, that's where I was I was trying to think of how I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that game really gave me perspective of how bad the Bulls were. But I, I do remember going to a game or two during this really bad stretch of Bulls basketball. And eventually they got Kirk Heinrich and Andres Nocioni or Nocioni and Ben Gordon. And mm-hmm. all of those players, honestly, put together, made kind of a, a pretty good team. They just were not championship contenders. And I also distinctly remember when the Bulls got Ben Wallace, which I'm sure you'll get to later. Mm-hmm. And Ben Wallace, I remember being super excited about just because I knew how he was from the Pistons. And I thought he was really cool to watch and fun to watch. But I remember sports analysts saying that they could tell his play had degraded since he left the Pistons. So, But anyway, those teams I enjoyed, but it was hard to get locked in because they, they would make the playoffs every year but not really do anything. But I did have a Heinrich and a Ben Gordon jersey. So I remember enjoying those. Mm-hmm. However, my mom bought them for me like right after they got traded. So, you know, thanks, mom. <laughs> Shout out to my mother. Thank you for expired jerseys. <laughs> That's the curse of jerseys is I think I kind of for a while I actually stopped buying jerseys because the last ones I had bought were I bought Justin Verlander and Calvin Johnson and Prince Fielder and all three of them are gone That's the next awesome. year. I was like, I'm done. I'm never buying another jersey. That's again. hilarious. Like at least Calvin Johnson retired with the <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So during that time, my Bulls interest grew mainly from the VHS tapes my dad had of the Bulls' different championship runs. Those were super fun for me. I referenced in our NFL episode that I really enjoy sports documentaries and sports championship recaps and things like that. So I, I learned a lot about the 90s Bulls during that stretch, and it was 
It was really interesting for me. I, I couldn't even believe that they had a season that they only had 10 losses. That was baffling for my feeble little mind. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my earliest Bulls memory. I know it was kind of a long stretch. So getting into kind of the peak of it was definitely the Derrick Rose era. I remember my fandom kind of slipping a little bit until the Bulls had the first pick in the draft. And they picked Rose. I didn't know anything about him because I didn't watch college basketball at the time, other than the fact that I knew that he was from Chicago because everyone talked about that. But, I mean, how could that era with D. Rose not be the peak of my fandom since I was born in the middle of the 90s? I don't understand how I could even pick anything else because right. that that guy was, for me, and I know I'm biased, but he still is one of the most electrifying players I've ever watched. The energy he brought, the speed he brought, the mentality he brought, everything was just amazing. You couldn't even describe it. If you, if you showed somebody tape of it, they probably wouldn't even believe it, especially in today's MV, uh, NBA where it's primarily uh, three-point shooting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that part, that era was definitely the peak. And and then I love Joakim Noah, and I think they drafted him maybe the year after Rose. So, <laughs> so part of the reason I love Joakim Noah is you, you have to see his picture on draft day. So for anybody that is listening that maybe maybe you don't know who Joe Kimno is or you don't remember what that picture looks like, I'm trying to think the best way I can describe it to you. Let's see. Picture a so he he's mulatto. So picture that in your head first. So kind of a, t- a tan, a little darker than tan colored skin. Picture hair that is like a Picture a hair that is like a unshorn black sheep with static sticking out the side of his head. Because he wore a hat over the top of yeah, it too. Yes, the picture hat. the bull's hat from the draft resting on top of this mane of uncontrollable hair. And then picture the geekiest smile you can in the world with... Not quite Michael Strahan teeth, but probably like junior Michael Strahan teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> when I saw that guy, <laughs> first I laughed, then I watched highlights <laughs> and I got excited. And yeah, but <laughs> the other thing about him, I always made comments that he he looked like that simply to identify with the homeless population in Chicago. <laughs> Simply so that they had somebody that they could look up to. (laughs) Admire. (laughs) So those teams, Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, Luol Deng, they were shaping up Mm. to be a really good, good, good team. Tom Thibodeau was the coach. Derrick Rose, 2010 MVP season. Oh, my word. I cannot explain how good these teams were looking. And then the announcement came. I've decided to take my talents to South Beach. Yep. And I guess you can say that is why I have kind of a, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan. And it has nothing to do with his decision to go there. <laughs> Forget Cleveland. I don't care about Cleveland. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was because him going to the Heat is basically the barrier the Bulls could never get over in the playoffs. Mm. The stretch from like 2010 to 2012, mm-hmm. those three seasons, there was an actual like Bulls-Heat rivalry, and it was because you had basically the two most talented teams in the Eastern Conference squaring off, and the the Bulls regularly dominated them the regular season. I know there was one regular season where they went undefeated against the Heat. They went like 4-5-0, or five and oh against the heat Hmm. and then they couldn't get past them in the playoffs it was just the most frustrating thing and that made it an interesting time anyway the peak was definitely that stretch 2010 2012 even though lebron was on the heat and it ruined the bulls plans those seasons and the postseasons were nothing less than exciting Hmm. 
real quick on that too, because I don't know if we'll move on from it or not, but I wanted to get to it. Um, we talked about LeBron a little bit earlier. So I was curious, like, that makes a lot of sense as far as him being a barrier in the conference. Would you say at all, which I, this is what I was curious about, that do you have any dislike towards LeBron just because of the debates that are had about him versus Jordan, which obviously that isn't his fault, but do you just dislike him as a player because the parallels that are made constantly, or is that a factor at all? Just something I'm curious about. Yeah, no, that's a very fair question. And I, there was a time when I would get upset about that whole Jordan-LeBron debate, but I very mm -hmm. quickly realized it was stupid because I only ever saw Jordan play on the Wizards. <laughs> so I didn't really have a horse in that race, for lack of a better term. And I laugh actually because my students, they often, they're high schoolers and they will often talk about this debate of Jordan and LeBron. And I just kind of laugh because I'm like, you guys probably, all you remember of LeBron is like since 2013. Like you don't even remember the first 10 years of LeBron, let alone anything of Kobe really and anything of Jordan. So you have nothing to argue on. <laughs> Which that's what's crazy. Like I'm used to the side where you don't know anything about Jordan other than what you've seen in highlights and stuff. But now, like you said, today's NBA fan, like a lot of the younger fans, they haven't even seen early LeBron, <laughs> which makes me start to feel old where I'm now defending LeBron and how good he was to guys who had never even saw him play with the Heat or teams like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. LeBron is... So here, I guess here's where I ended up with everything. Where, where mm -hmm. I ended up with that whole debate is... I actually really appreciate something LeBron himself said, which he said something to the effect of that every generation has its own superstar. Hmm. And he just said, I'm this generation's. And basically, I'm fine with that. Because when you look mm -hmm. at the decades of the NBA, you have like the early Celtics team and who's the person you think of? Bill Russell. Then you have the 80s, which is when the NBA really launched into popularity. And who do you have? You have magic and bird mm -hmm. uh in the 90s who do you have mj then early 2000s who you have kobe uh, uh then more like the 2010 decade who you have you have lebron primarily steph curry so this whole thing about every generation having its superstar i think is really true mm -hmm. and it's really just unfair to compare the players because they're from different eras and I, a lot of people are not satisfied with that answer, but it's it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the interesting thing is, and I debate this with my brother-in-law all the time, because my brother-in-law loves the NBA. And he and I debated, because I had been watching some games of the 96 Bulls, because during this virus epidemic, they've been re-airing some of those games. Mm -hmm. And, man, I... Because I had never seen a full game of them. And wow, they were, it is, they are a different animal. I can see when I watch them how they won six championships. Mm -hmm. They were, they were crazy good. Mm -hmm. They were hard asses on defense. They didn't let anybody, they, they, they were, they were bad. They were bad. But what I mean is that they were good. <laughs> um so i argued with him that they would be relevant in today's nba and he was going mm -hmm. on about how a lot of um a lot of starters then would be worse than bench players now and again he ba he and i basically ran into the same problem which is it's different eras it's hard to say yeah like dennis rodman who is a hall of fame player is he would be in a totally different role now mm -hmm. because back then there was one game I was watching of the Bulls run and he had like 15 points and the announcers brought up that it was a really big deal that he had 15 points. Yeah. And that's because why? Because he was your scrapper. Mm -hmm. He was called the worm for a reason and he would dive after balls, get to where nobody else wanted to go fight whoever no one else wanted to fight mm -hmm. to get the ball to get the blocks, to get the rebounds, no matter what cost. It's like a hockey enforcer, and there's no role for that at all in the NBA today. Yeah. That's a really good example of him, and I'm sure you'll get into uh, rough play and enforcers when you get to the Pistons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think the two different era thing, mm -hmm. I, I think it's really it, – it, people don't like that argument because it just kind of stops the argument 
in its tracks. It doesn't give it any more traction to go off of. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the conclusion you have to come to eventually. Yeah, agreed for sure. So if you're listening to this and you're harboring anger or frustration towards that individual that is just pushing down your, your throat the agenda that LeBron is better than Jordan or vice versa, just remember that they're both great players. They'll both be in the Hall of Fame and you'll probably never see them play each other. <laughs> yep. Yeah, tell them to watch our podcast, listen to our podcast for all <laughs> yes. the answers they need. Yes. So let me th- let me talk real briefly about my favorite moment. So my favorite moment was in the 2010 season. That was Derrick Rose's MVP season. The Bulls made it to the Eastern Conference Championship Finals. Mm-hmm. And I had the privilege to go to Game 5 of that playoffs. The Bulls lost. They got eliminated that game. And... It, it, it sucked but going to it's the only postseason game i've ever been to and it was the most wild electric atmosphere i've ever seen mm. lebron had we were in the nosebleeds and people were shouting out their diaphragms at lebron <laughs> with curse <laughs> with curses and really the funny thing was is I went to this game with this boy I had been mentoring and uh, his family, they sent him and I to the game like as a thank you to me. Mm. And so we're, st- we're sitting there. I had to like stand up and like rebuke some of these people say, hey, I have this like 11 year old kid here. Learning new words. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressionable kid. Yes. Please <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, LeBron can't hear you from from up here. <laughs> Like we're 500 feet suspended in the air. How I'm not good at math. I don't know how high we are. Where, but, mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah, that that game was just crazy. And I remember very distinctly the Bulls getting Rose the ball for for the last shot. You know, there's 20 seconds left. They give Rose the ball to make the shot. I think he had to make a three to tie it, and he missed it. But mm-hmm. I I just remember everybody on their feet. I remember the crowd being just out of control preparing for pandemonium if he sunk a three mm. and if anyone watched early derrick rose or frankly even current derrick rose he's not really the greatest three-point shooter yeah. his game was all in his legs which uh, i'll talk about his legs when i get to my lowest moments <coughs> um but that uh, that whole game that experience was by far my favorite experience as a bulls fan mm. so bringing me to the worst experience i just referenced derrick rose's legs and yeah uh if you know anything about derrick rose or recent bulls history or even if you know like nba memes of any sort you're familiar with the fact that derrick rose tore his acl in the most heartbreaking way and i'll get more into that in a second so that the next season after that the bulls were went off to a crazy start they went i think they went 62 and 20 that season which is really good obviously they had the first seed and the division round of the playoffs it was bulls versus 76ers uh and these were the 76ers led by andre iguodala <laughs> so mm-hmm. basically him and nobody else on the sixers and don't forget that iguodala went on to be a bench player so there you go yeah. uh it was pretty much a for sure thing the bulls would win that series and in game one, Rose went up for a routine, like, I think it was a re- rebound. He was going for a putback, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But he, he jumped up, came back down, and didn't get back up. Mm-hmm. And I was not watching the game. I was listening to it. Uh, at the time, I had a job as a custodian, and I was listening to the game on the radio as I was working. And I just, I remember the announcers just saying, you know, Rose is down, uh, trainers are rushing out, uh, Mm. there hasn't been any sign of him trying to stand up or anything like that. And I just remember being like, no, (laughs) this can't be happening. And we talked in our baseball episode about how small moments can, uh, can swing momentum Mm -hmm, for sure. Even moments that are. Uh, could be seemingly inconsequential depending on the rest of the series for the bulls this was the first game and rose gets injured Mm -hmm. and 
the Bulls, even without Rose, should have easily beaten the Sixers. Mm-hmm. But I think they won one game, maybe two games in the end of that series, but they lost. And it's no wonder. I mean, their leader, their MVP, mm-hmm. their reigning MVP point guard, who is like the spirit of the team, was down. Mm-hmm. And that was just the most deflating moment that I, I can ever remember uh, really in in all sports like i get super worked up about the cubs and about the bears but the this moment just shook me hmm. and it, it didn't help that then the next year d rose said oh i'm gonna sit out pretty much this whole year and so he did and then the next year was supposed to be the big comeback year and then even after that he played like very cautiously and he would play a little bit here or there and he ended up he started to be, look like him, his normal self again, and then he tore his MCL and in his other leg. And so it was just one thing after the other and sitting out games, and it just kind of spiraled downward from there. And in the end, you had a team that was – the Bulls were bad again because they got rid of Rose – and you had pretty much a supporting cast from there on out. You had no superstars, right. nobody to back anyone up. A team that was built uh, around a player who's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people criticized the Bulls for not having anybody, any other stars to share the load with Rose. And I will get into that in here in a minute. So from there, the Bulls basically have been horrible. Oh, really, really, really bad. <laughs> Since then, uh, basically a bottom feeder every single year. I don't even remember the last year they made the playoffs. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Every season, everyone's like, hey, let's tank for Zion. Let's tank for whomever the the hot name is that year. And the Bulls are so good at tanking that each of the past three seasons, they've had the seventh pick, which in the NBA draft mm. doesn't really do you much. You, you might get a really solid like six, sixth man, mm-hmm. but you won't get a a starter necessarily. Yeah, more than more than any other draft, which is funny because there's so many less positions on the on the court at once as opposed to like football. But you have a huge drop off after those first three picks usually. Oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right in that. The talent gap is huge because in football, when you think about it, in football, obviously you need talent, right? But you also there's a certain amount of try-hard that can go along with that. Mm. The players that ha- show the most effort or the most will or are willing to improve the most can be substantial players. Role players, at least, yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the NBA, you're either really good or you're not. I actually find it funny that the NBA has the developmental league, the D-League, because I've whenever I see players in there, I'm like, they're... Is this that NBA's way of, de- of diluting their minds to say that you're in the quote-unquote NBA mm. even though you never will be because <laughs> you're in the D-League? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I have to look and see, but nobody even comes to mind. I'm sure there are some, but like guys who came from the D-League and had good careers in the NBA. I mean, the D-League is so young, I don't think it's really happened yet. Yeah. I think their idea with it is that they're giving players people they're giving p- players an option to come straight out of high school into the D-League, yeah. which that part I understand. Mm-hmm. And could be good, uh, but I don't think that has come through yet. I'd have to do research on that. Mm. But basically, the Bulls have just been so bad, so bad. And they traded. We had Jimmy Butler. There was a short Jimmy Butler era. Mm-hmm. D Wade stopped by for a year. Who else? We we had Rajon Rondo for a year. I always forget that. Yeah, I me too. <laughs> until right now. <laughs> yeah, it was just a lot of, eh. Mm-hmm. And the Bulls traded Butler and got back. They got back Zach Levine Mm -hmm. and Chris Dunn from the Timberwolves, and they swapped picks. And with the their pick, shocking the seventh pick, they got Laurie Markinen. So those are three names that are on the current Bulls roster right now. They all three were supposed to be stars, but Chris Dunn is become more of a defensive specialist, which is the kind way of saying that you're not a star in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And Laurie Markkinen has basically been a seven-foot white waste of space. <laughs> he has so much promise, but oh, yeah. has been so disappointing. And I don't even know... I don't haven't done enough research on him, but 
a lot of people say that he's supposed to be way better than he has been. Zach Levine's really the only person that has come as advertised. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I he's been better than I thought he was going to be. But he's more of your second-tier superstar. So he would be really good if you had one of the top-tier superstars on the team. Like, if, you, if we had someone on the level of Kawhi Leonard on the Bulls, mm. all of a sudden, but between him and Zach Levine, you would have a, a top-of-the-league team. Because Levine is that good. Mm-hmm. He's just not – but by himself – as a second tier superstar, he's just not there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you can kind of see it too. I think he's one of those guys who he tries to maybe force it or like take too much on himself. Where if he was a second man, like you said, um, like you you look back on previous teams, you know, I, like guys come to mind where it's like even like Kyrie Irving with you know with the Cavs <laughs> or like guys who are like really good second guys. But if they had to carry the team, you know how different that would look. It's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's why Kyrie on Boston did not work out. But yeah. Kyrie with Durant in Brooklyn might once mm. Durant mm-hmm. gets over his coronavirus, first of all, since he tested positive, but also his ACL. Yeah. So my, I guess my fandom is so it's so frustrating because the Bulls have just been so bad and they never get a good draft pick no matter how bad they are each year. Mm. And they don't make any good trades. They don't make any good signings. They do nothing basically. And it's so frustrating. Do like, I feel like I have to poke a dead person on the sidewalk and say like, do something, show some sign of life. (laughs) And there is nothing. And so the only way I've been Mm. able to maintain a rem a, some resemblance of a fandom during this really just nothing stretch. It's like a void. It's not even that they're so bad that I, I don't remember them. They're forgettable is what they are. And that's, I think worse than Mm. being bad. Yeah. And the only thing that's kept me afloat is that their tickets are cheap and that I've gone to a handful of games in the past few years. You and Mm -hmm. I went to Pistons game, a a Bulls Pistons game uh, in the fall of 2019 that was fun i've been to honestly in the past two years i think i've been to like six bulls games because they're so cheap wow uh i went with and this will actually speak to what you were saying about zach levine in january of this year i went to uh bulls celtics game with my brothers-in-law all three of them all three of them are big sports fans uh two of them really like the nba and one of them is a celtics fan for some strange reason (laughs) and he so we went there for his birthday and i told them all as because none of them they're nba fans but they obviously weren't watching the bulls because no one wants to watch the bulls so i told them i said well i've watched some bulls games where i'll tell you what's going to happen is that the bulls are going to come out to like a 10 15 point lead on the celtics and the celtics are like at this time like third or fourth in the eastern conference standings and I said, they're going to come out to like a, a double-digit lead on the Celtics. And then mm-hmm. throughout the game, the Bulls are all of a sudden going to go through a really bad stretch, and the Celtics will take a double-digit lead. And then the Bulls mm-hmm. will take one more double-digit lead, and then at the end of the game, they'll give it up and be down by like five points. And in the last like minute of the game, you're just going to have Zach Levine chucking up threes from wherever he is to try to catch the Bulls up. And mm-hmm. after the game, <laughs> the three of them basically turned to me and said, yeah, that was pretty much exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember you telling me the same thing when we went to the Pistons-Bulls game, which the Pistons just weren't good enough to keep up their end of the prediction. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, the Bulls won that game by, like, yeah. 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they Shot pulled away a lot at the end. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> but it's sad when you can pinpoint something like that to... A trend, like a negative trend like that, yeah. So, at this point... That's pretty much everything I have to say about the Bulls players and the team. And at this point, I, and I know I've been going for a while about the Bulls, but I have one more mm-hmm. section to talk about, and that is the management. Mm. I'm so blessed that I am not a White Sox fan because Jerry Reinsdorf is the owner of both the White Sox and the Bulls. And White Sox fans and Bulls fans will tell you th- for a long time that they've been frustrated with Jerry Reinsdorf as the owner. Mm-hmm. Now, it can be a little hard to see that because the Bulls won six championships under him and the White Sox had one World Series under him. But here is Jerry Reinsdorf's biggest fault. He is extremely loyal, loyal to a fault. And mm. 
currently the Bulls GMs are they have a co-GM pairing of Gar Foreman, which is some name. Gar. <laughs> I can't imagine being <laughs> comes from a pirate family. <laughs> exactly. I never thought of that. <laughs> I I can't like I, I was gonna say I can't imagine being a parent, which is false because I I am one. But I can't imagine holding my newborn in the hospital, looking at their face and saying, <laughs> "You look like a Gar to me." <laughs> so we have Gar Foreman, and then we have John Paxson. Now, if you know the name John Paxson, he was on the the Bulls' first three championship teams, and that's where the loyalty is. So Jerry mm. Reinsdorf, essentially, as a way to like thank John Paxson, more or less, has had Paxson be a GM and Gar Foreman be a GM since like 2002 or 2003. Think how long that is. We're in 2020. Wow. That's a long yeah. tenure. And what have the Bulls done during that time? They had a three-year stretch that was super exciting with D. Rose, and that was it. And here's the thing Mm -hmm. is you can listen to interviews with John Paxson. He gets super defensive whenever anybody says that basically he's done a bad job because he often Mm -hmm. responds with, like, well, look at those teams that we were so close to a championship in 2010, 2011, blah, 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 all this stuff. Which has been a decade ago now, which is that's It is a decade. That's That's a good point in and of itself. But here's the better point. The Bulls, when they got D. Rose, they had like a 2% chance of winning the number one pick in the lottery. And they won that. So the argument is, I guess you quote unquote built that team, but you basically lucked into Derrick Rose. Hmm. It was like, a hun- and luck is not a strategy. That's something that uh, a... Uh, a radio host on 670 the score in chicago says a lot is he says luck is not a strategy you can't just say and that's that's his biggest critique with tanking too is you can't just say you're going to tank and get and get billed that way because it's not a strategy to rely on a lottery and mm-hmm. that yeah. has been a big problem with him now to go along with that he's picked questionable coaches now, Tom Thibodeau was a great coach. I really liked him. People criticized him for yeah. overworking his players. And mm-hmm. after that era, and I think a lot largely because of D. Rose and what happened to him, this whole modern day term of load management came into place. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. what what's funny is that since Thibodeau, the Bulls have had Ho- Fred Hoiberg and now we have Jim Boylan as the head coach. And during their tenures, the Bulls had more injuries than they ever did during Tom Thibodeau's tenure. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a little ironic. So his, his selection of coaches has been questionable. And to top that off, because of hiring questionable coaches, because of being a questionable organization, because of being GM that is not willing to add to your team. I mean, again, the D Rose team. They they drafted D Rose. They drafted Joe Kim Noah. They drafted Lou Aldang, and then who did they sign? Who was the big name? Carlos Boozer. Mm-hmm. What has Carlos Boozer done? Not much, other than having an awesome last name. <laughs> yeah, he's memorable for his name. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. looking in hindsight, I really need to get a Boozer jersey very badly yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's just so sad what they've turned the bulls into Mm -hmm. if you look at more current situations anthony davis who or the brow Mm -hmm. he went out you know and he's in la now with lebron um one of the best players in the league yeah no he's like top right now if he's not top five he's like top seven i was gonna say top five probably yeah um and he's from chicago and he, among other players, has referred to Chicago as basketball mecca, which hmm. I'm guessing they call it mecca to appeal to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Makes <Yeah>. sense. <laughs> but they, they, they're referring to this as, as basketball mecca, which would mean that it's the place where everybody want, should want to go, right? Mm-hmm. And yet he chooses to go to the Lakers. And the Bull, part of that is because the Bulls didn't even pursue him. And... How can you, as a GM, not pursue a player from your home city that has called your city the highest point of basketball, or in other words, basketball royalty? Like, are 
are you serious? You're not even going to throw a line out to him? Yeah, that's why, in my mind, probably two of the most frustrating teams to be a fan of in the NBA right now would be the Knicks and the Bulls, because both of those Absolutely. are considered like amazing places to play, and they should be destinations for free agents. But the way that those teams have been managed to where it's – Kevin Durant even made this comment when he was as a free agent last year. He was like which, – which I told you I, – I sent you his quote. I'd have to look it up and see. But he basically said it's not cool anymore. Like they're still counting on their their brand, being able to pull in people. But it's been so long since they've done anything significant that what could have been like – like you said, a mecca or a destination for free agents has now become somewhere that can't contend for those guys. When that that's got to be one of the most frustrating parts because you're not some small market team. You're a team who has every opportunity to rebuild. And just to give you one more picture of the just idiocy of the current Bulls front office is so they fired Fred Hoiberg. Now, Fred Hoiberg, he didn't he didn't have a successful tenure with the Bulls, but he brought in the modern NBA offense to the Bulls. Yeah. With primarily three point shooting and all, and the, the modern sabermetrics mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but they didn't equip Hoiberg with the players and personnel necessary to install that new wave of the NBA. So they ended up firing him because of results. Understandable. Mm-hmm. They bring they hire Jim Boylan or they promote Jim Boylan, who was Hoiberg's assistant, and Boylan is very much an old-school-minded coach. And at this point, now with the acquisition of Markkanen and Levine and other players, now you've built a team ready for modern NBA offense, but now you've hired a coach that's old-school NBA. And so that was a very illogical move. And they hired, they fired Hoiberg like in, like maybe in December. Like the season barely began. And they fire Hoiberg, promote Boylan, and... The first thing Boylan basically says, he says, well, these players are clearly not conditioned enough. We need to hold some harder, higher standards and harder practices. Mm -hmm. And he started holding these practices that are like unprecedented. There was like controversy that came up between like the Bulls and the NBA Players Association that they were being like mistreated by their coach for the practices he was running. It it was getting really out of control. And, And then Paxson and Gar Foreman go on. And give Jim Boylan a three-year extension. Hmm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> You're clearly not listening to your players. And this is where you mentioned in our NFL podcast about the Detroit Lions' mistreatment of players. Hmm. And this is why I brought up that it reminds me of the Bulls. Because the Bulls, I don't understand. You're hearing your players complain about it. They're going to the NBA Players Association that has obviously really good lawyers and everything. And... You're, then you go and extend the coach. It just doesn't make any sense. And speaking about the branding, like with the New York Knicks, mm. Jim Boylan, one of the biggest things he always says is he says, like, oh, you need to be proud to wear bowls across your chest. That's that's like if you're coaching high schoolers. Mm. Like no, no grown man <laughs> who plays in the NBA, who has, is way taller than you, way stronger than you, way faster than you, needs to hear that the name they're wearing on their chest is what they are playing for. The NBA has become a player's league, and they are playing for themselves and for championships. It doesn't matter what team they're on. Because if it mattered what team they were on, LeBron would have never left Cleveland. Hmm. Yeah. I need to stop, because I, I, it's up to 50 minutes, and I'm the only one that's talked about the Bulls <laughs> so far. I mean, you've chimed oh, in. Oh, I'm, I'm loving but, it, yeah. <laughs> This is where, like, <laughs> frankly, uh, for the listeners, as we were thinking about the inception of Frustration Nation, a lot of this, the ideas for me was coming from watching the mm-hmm. Bulls and hearing a lot of the news and updates, and it's just it's just so disheartening. And I guess to, to find a silver lining in all this, I'm pleased to announce to you that the Bulls have officially said they are pursuing a new front office Mm -hmm. personnel. And John Paxson has said he is willing to step down. And originally the the Bulls told John Paxson he would just have like an adjacent position. So he'd be like sort of involved, but not, not totally. 
and nobody was jiving with that <laughs> understandably yeah. so and so i'm pleased to say basically it looks like for the next season the bulls will have a new gm which hopefully means signing anthony davis that would be crazy <laughs> I, I would go nuts <laughs> huh no that's been great and it, as we kind of transition i talk about the pistons i yeah i kind of wanted to stick with the bulls for a while because your fandom and your investment with the bulls runs deeper than mine for the pistons and yeah so no that's good so yeah so let's let's stop dwelling on on the bulls and tell me about the pistons i don't know much about the pistons really so i'm excited to learn something yeah and i don't know much honestly compared to like big nba fans then what are you here for (laughs) because i have to be i'm here so i don't get fined (laughs) very nice um good reference (laughs) So, again, just as a reminder, I kind of got a later start with my fandom in general of sports So I, because I moved to Detroit in 2005. And this is the year after the Pistons had just won their championship over the Lakers. So my big uh, thing with the NBA is like, man, I wish I would have been a fan of the in the 80s and 90s, like back when the NBA was great. But honestly, if I could have just been a, a fan a year earlier, I would have so many better memories with the Pistons. So even though I wasn't there for that, I the 2004 Pistons are one of the most incredible runs in recent NBA history. So in an era where you have big threes, you have a super team like the Warriors, and then now it seems like dynamic duos we talked about a little bit. Like you have LeBron, Anthony Davis, Harden Russell, Paul George, Kawhi, like just at least two big stars paired together on a lot of the top teams. It seems impossible to imagine a team that really doesn't have any star power winning a title, especially over the Lakers, who had just won three straight from 2000 to 2003. I have major comments on that, and I'll, I'll save them for a little bit later. But aside from that, I've always wanted Paul George to come to the Bulls. So that way I can buy a Bulls George jersey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Nice. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. So I kind of talked about this with the Tigers, too. The way they beat the, a Yankees team that was... Like one of the most dominant stacked teams I can remember, just like a video game level team. So the Pist- or when the Pistons play the 2004 playoffs against that Lakers team, Kobe, Shaq, obviously the two big names. That team also had Derek Fisher, Gary Payton, Lamar Odom, and Carl Malone. It was just it was a monster team. So they had cruised through the playoffs, and they were huge favorites over the Pistons in the finals. And Detroit not only won, but they went four to one over that Lakers team, which is wow. just an, an amazing accomplishment. Four to one, yeah, really? Four, four games to one. So I moved to the city in the wake of this championship. And Okay, yeah. real, so real quick, with that with that Pistons championship team then in 04, mm-hmm. I could rattle off some names because I honestly always liked that team. <laughs> Even though I'm a Bulls yeah. fan, I liked Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, Rashid, Chauncey Billups, but... Is there anybody? Is Rashid Wallace a Hall of Famer? Like, is there anybody from that team that's a Hall of Fame player? Oh, man. I'm not sure. I don't think she is. I'd have to look and see. Because he would be the only one I would think would be. I'm going to look it yeah. up for you. I mean, obviously, Ben Wallace is the star, but not in the way that he's going to score all of your team's points and put a team on his back and be the main scoring threat kind of star. He was right. back-to-back defensive player of the year. So the team kind of was this scrappy, hardworking defensive-minded team which we kind of talked about the cliche with the nfl too but the cliche that detroit's a blue-collar town they love that kind of team bad boys. yeah but like especially yeah. with the bad boys being part of the history and this team had the the nickname of the go to work pistons or the go to work era so just like that the mindset of everybody has a role everyone knows their job and everybody works hard kind of thing gotcha I mean, ideally, you could say that would be a model to win a championship, but just looking back at past championship teams, that's the last one I can really remember winning without star power, just winning based on team play and the chemistry you have as a team, you know? Okay, so here you go. Hall of Famers from that finals. The only Pistons Hall of Famer was the coach, Larry Brown. (laughs) Big Ben isn't? Ben Wallace isn't? No, I'm on the Wikipedia yeah. page, and if you look on Hall of Famers, it puts the category Lakers, <laughs> coaches, and officials. <laughs> there's more officials in the Hall of Fame than Pistons players. Yeah, though. and for Laker, for Lakers, there's obviously Carl Malone, Gary Payton, Shaq, and Kobe. That's crazy, yeah. And Kobe was just announced like yesterday or two days ago. Or yeah, something this like that. most recent class. Yeah, R.I.P. 
man. So that that is an amazing accomplishment. When you look at a team, I mean, and Shaq was unreal. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knew how to guard no. Shaq. I want I want to go back and watch full games from that because I I can I mean I imagine the Ben Wallace Shaq matchup had to have just been amazing. I'm sure. I and those are not only are those two really good players, two different sized players, and two players with their own cult of personalities exactly. as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of like that's a matchup you promote is between those two players, which I would think looking at this, everybody had to have assumed the Lakers would just steamroll the Pistons in this finals. But that's something you could sell as maybe that matchup. But yeah, super interesting. But so yeah, I'm I remember when I moved to Detroit, everyone loved the Pistons, which is the exact opposite now. But back then, more than any other mm. team, you would see people wearing piston stuff and loving the Pistons, which is it is interesting because at that time they played at the Palace of Auburn Hills. So they were right. the one team who played out of the city of Detroit, which as the team was less successful, you could see how that kind of distanced the city from the team, which I guess that's something that was maybe more overlooked or didn't seem as big of a deal when the team was successful. But when the team wasn't successful, that became a barrier, I think. Okay, so Palace of Auburn Hills, about how far is that from the heart of Detroit? It depends, yeah, where you're going from that from, if you're from one of the suburbs or anything like that. But I'd say at least a half hour, which might not okay. seem like a huge deal. But, I mean, if you're talking foot traffic or anything, kind of, because there's nothing around there. It's right off the highway, the right. Palace is. So you're not getting any kind of foot traffic or any events around there. Like they try, It's kind of its own standalone structure. I totally can see why that's... A problem so wrigley field you know is like the second oldest stadium in baseball mm-hmm. and at a time I, I know this doesn't seem like it relates but i promise i'll bring it into relevancy yeah. there was a time when people were concerned because like chunks of concrete were just falling down from the ceiling of what wrigley field <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could see why that would be a problem <laughs> i don't remember this at all yeah yeah you know and they had there was no videos like the, you there was no replay and I would love to get into this about uh, the Bartman ball because there's the fact that there was no replay available made the Bartman ball way worse. And I, I could get into that, but I won't right now. So Wrigley Field is obviously super old, super outdated and literally crumbling before everybody's eyes. <laughs> and they had been talking about moving it to uh, the suburb of Chicago that I reside. And Seriously, wow. yeah, and there's a big racetrack where I, where I live. And they had been talking about buying out that racetrack and putting the new Cubs stadium there. And obviously it didn't happen, but I can totally see how being detached from the city would really kind of change the vibe on things, especially when the team is bad. Mm -hmm. Because where Wrigley is now, it's its own culture. Like people say, I'm going to Wrigleyville. Mm -hmm. It is like you're going to largely this uh, yuppie drunk area (laughs) that's also we're also where everybody loves each other (laughs) it's like this really strange phenomenon and then if you took it out of that element and put it somewhere else out of the city you just lose Mm -hmm. you lose something and it's hard to say exactly what that is and maybe it's foot traffic like you said but you just there's something to it that you lose and so i can see why that would hurt uh the pistons and the red wings with playing at the palace for so Mm -hmm. long yeah well the pistons played there the red wings were at joe lewis and then they just now combined so they're together for the first. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So just now they're they're sharing. It's the Little Caesars Arena. It's the new. Uh, that's <laughs> the right. New arena downtown, which is actually super nice. But you might think that's kind of a silly name, but don't forget that the New Orleans Pelicans play at the Smoothie King Arena. That's that's got to be up there as one of the yeah weirdest ones. And the White Sox play at Guaranteed Rate Field. Which yeah, that I still consider that. I guess still even as not a fan, like it seems weird to not call it the Cell. You know, the U.S. Cellular. It's funny because I have that same opinion about calling it the cell, but all old school White Sox fans would still call it Comiskey. Mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the yeah. Pistons. My no, fault. no, yeah. It's all good. So, yeah, I ke- I come to Detroit right after this the championship. Pistons are still a big deal, but a lot like the Tigers, actually. The, the team had the tendency after that title to fall short of their ultimate goals. So kind of a, a good but not mm. great team. And a lot of that's just due to the talent you have. And like we talked about, a lot of the players you have are good, but not great players. So everything kind of came together that title year. But after that, you're kind of, you're at a ceiling where you're st- you're chasing that title again. But I think you kind of just, you caught magic, you know, that season. And you weren't right. able to do it again. 
So the year after the championships, the Pistons would lose Game 7 of the finals to the Spurs. So that year, they went to Game 7 of the finals. So you're still right there. Oh, I did not realize that. But then you lose in the conference finals the following three years to the Heat, the Cavs, and the Celtics, and all of them end 4-2. to two. So so the year they were in the finals against the Spurs, were you following them at that point? Honestly, no, not really. Um, okay. And a lot of it was just maybe focus. When I, My focus was more and my attention was more on the Tigers for baseball, and then at that point the Lions kind of starting to get into that. Right. I just was never as big of an NBA fan. But I knew they were still really good that year. So I honestly don't have a lot of memories even of that year with the Spurs can you fathom if they if that Pistons team that we just pointed out had no Hall of Famers on it if they would have beaten the Lakers that had Malone Peyton Shaq and Kobe and the Spurs that would have had Duncan and Parker and Ginobili yep that <laughs> yeah insane that, that would have been something yeah and I, I have to look and see what that game seven was I'm not sure how close it was but just the fact that you get to game seven against the following year against another right. stacked team. Yeah, crazy. But then after that, you, the window kind of closes. You're at your ceiling. Other teams start mm-hmm. just start to pass you by, and you, you can't crack back into the – you can't crack that ceiling into the finals again. So frustration kind of starts to build. And then the 08 season ended as we were swept by the Cavs in the first round. And I believe that's the year ESPN – they play their like highlights and everything. That was the year that I think game five, LeBron scored the final 25 points – for the Cavs to close that oh game out. Word. He scored 25 straight for the Cavs. Um, That's crazy. So before that, we had had kind of okay teams. We did decently well in the playoffs, but that was the first year we just got embarrassed and just thrown out of the playoffs. All right, just real quick. Yeah. So this is from this is from the Wikipedia page. So first of all, the final score of the game was, of Game 7 the Spurs in the game, 2005 yeah. mm-hmm. uh, was Spurs 81, Pistons 74. Okay, yeah. So let me just read some of this because this is really interesting the way they wrote it. Mm-hmm. For the first time in 11 years, the NBA Finals came down to a decisive Game 7. Momentum was on Detroit's side, but the Spurs had home court advantage. The Pistons were looking to become the first team ever to win the last two games on the road before being down 3-2. to two. Mm-hmm. NBA history was heavily in favor of the Spurs, who were looking to celebrate a title at the SBC Center for the second time in three years. NBA teams are 74 and 17 all time at home in game 7 and 9 and 0 when leading 3 to 2 going home. Entering this game the Pistons tied the 1994 New York Knicks for most games played in a single postseason with 25. The Boston Celtics broke this record during their championship season of 2008. Like the previous two games of the series, game 7 was closely contested throughout, but the Spurs fell into a 9-point deficit with 7:45 left in the third quarter. <laughs> Though Tim Duncan was for much of the series unable to shoot for a high percentage against Detroit's front line, he led the Spurs out of that nine-point hole. In the final 7.45 of the third quarter, Duncan scored 10 of the team's 18 final third-quarter points, and the game was tied to start the fourth. Behind clutch plays from Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili, the Spurs took control of the fourth quarter to earn an 81-74 victory, clinching the franchise's third Larry O'Brien trophy. For the game, Tim Duncan finished with a game-high 25 points and 11 rebounds, while teammate Manu Ginobili pitched in with 23 points. Richard Hamilton, better known as Rip Hamilton, Mm -hmm. with 15 points, was the high scorer for the Pistons, who fell just short of winning back-to-back championships. Wow. Yeah. No, that's cool, because, yeah, I don't remember that series that well. I wasn't tuned into all the games or anything. But, yeah, I mean, you were right there to being able to win back-to-back. Yeah, well, you had a nine-point lead. Yeah. In... Towards the halfway point of the third quarter. That's crazy. So, I mean, that's not quite a Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl situation, <laughs> no. but it's still a yeah. – it's still a – it's still – what would that be? At least – if you made three threes, it's still a three-basket lead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, anyway, interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah, after that, I'm kind of moving there as the window is at its height. It closes quickly. And then – so 2008 ended with – the Cavs just demolishing us. So then the following year, Allen Iverson, he leaves the team, and the Pistons missed the playoffs that year for the first time since 2001. So you had made... I did not realize the run was that long for them. And I didn't either, honestly, until I looked it up. So you had made, let me see, 2000, so like seven, eight years, you've made the playoffs and been in the finals twice. And that's where, after that, the mediocrity really sets in. So we were swept in that 08 first round of the playoffs. Since then, the Pistons have only made the playoffs three times, and we were swept in the first round each time. 
So our past, <laughs> or maybe that's three including this, but our past uh, three or four. You've told me that before, but it's funny every time. Yeah, so we've been to the playoffs the past three or four series since 2008. We've been swept in the first round every every series. Um, I know the Cavs did. <laughs> the Bucks did the most recently. I think did Toronto maybe? I'd have to look and see. That just shows how closely I don't follow the Pistons. Is, um, <laughs> yeah. And what's really frustrating with the team is that we're just now starting the rebuild this season. Like as the se- this season, which is now suspended for the coronavirus, as that mm-hmm. season was coming to a close, we're kind of we just traded Andre Drummond, and we're right. kind of re, re we released Reggie Jackson. We're kind of finally starting the rebuild, and it's just so frustrating because you allow yourselves to flounder around and be mediocre for a decade before ownership has enough self awareness to make changes. And a lot of that blame does go to the owner, Tom Gorris, who's pretty much universally mocked by Detroit sports media and radio there. So here's as, as an example of the way that ownership has kind of set us back. Uh, the trade we made for Blake Griffin. Now, let me just say I love Blake, and he always gave max effort. So I really Are like him. you on a first-name basis with him? Yes. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> friends. Yeah. I almost started a podcast with him, but it just didn't Let's work get him for on the schedule. Yeah. Oh, I see how it is. Okay. <laughs> so, no, uh, I really like him a lot as a player, and this isn't his fault, but unfortunately injuries have just been a problem for him the past few years. Right. And the issue is that Tom Gorris, he traded for an aging star whose entire skill set was dependent on physical play, kind of like how you talked about for Derrick Rose, his games and his legs. Yeah, what team does Derrick Rose play for? The Pistons, actually, and he's oh, wow. probably our best play- <laughs> our best player. <laughs> yeah, uh, which has been cool to see his comeback a little bit. But yeah, so that trade for him is kind of a prime example. That's a, how do you not see this coming with Blake? That's the kind of trading for him right. at that time was the kind of move you make if you're a step away from championship contention. Like we talked about earlier, if you already have a star, you're adding that second star who can kind of complement the first one and kind of be that dynamic duo, you know. But that's that's the kind of move you don't make if you're a mediocre team who hasn't won a single playoff game in a decade. Right. And, and that, that seems yeah. like something to me, like, I can recall, I can't think of any specific example now, but it reminds me of times when my teams or other teams I'm aware of who are clearly bad will sign a big-name player to simply appease the fans yeah. and to say, look, we're being competitive even though we're really just buying time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those moves you make. It's like the radio stations I listen to say, like, that's a move just to get asses in the seats, you know? You're just trying right. to sell tickets. Um, you're not concerned about long-term, especially when you look at how the way the contracts are structured. You're probably still going to be a bad team at the final years of his contract. If anything, that's going to be when you're trying to finally – you might – start to become a better team and now you're handicapped by this contract you made back when you were terrible it's just exactly it's awful and we could already be well into our rebuild if it had been started at the right time and now Mm -hmm. it's just getting started and it sucks because it's at the same time that the tigers and the red wings are both rebuilding too and the lions are the lions yeah exactly (laughs) And, and how much did how much did detroit give up for griffin uh it wasn't too i'd have to look and see because so, if it wasn't too much, then that should have been a sign right there and then that he was not what he was. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't so much the trade. I'm pulling it up now, but it was more so just the contract we signed him to. Um, okay. So, While you're looking that up, I remember the, I remember one year he had this dunk. Everyone was like, Blake Griffin, dunk of the year. And when you watch the replay, it was that dunk where he was like two feet above the rim. He just throws it in. <laughs> he threw it into the basket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... It was a package deal with I'm not sh- I don't see who the third team is. We sent Tobias Harris and a future first round pick. So I mean it, it wasn't a terrible as far as just personnel wise, but the main thing is just the contract you took on for him. I'd have, I'd have to look and see how many years it was for, but I mean you should have been able to predict right now we're in those final bad years of his contract and he's just a sandbag in your team, you know? Like he's a vet who his game's just not there anymore. He's taking up minutes at a time when you're trying to rebuild and get younger guys minutes. Yeah. Just frustrating. And that's the most frustrating thing more than anything else, which you talked about a little bit too with the Bulls. Not being bad, but just being forgettable and mediocre. On top of that, lacking the self-awareness to realize we need to make drastic moves to address this. Teams who just kind of stay stuck in mediocrity for decades, that infuriates me like nothing else. 
Like yeah. either you're good or you need to be rebuilding and restructuring and doing something about it. It's kind of my thing with the Pistons. If uh, you listeners want to hear about a, a dark part of me, I'm an English teacher, so I had to take a lot of English classes in college. And again, this seems like a rabbit trail, but I guarantee it relates. Um, and I took a creative writing class and we had to write a short story. And I have an affinity for fun new twists or ideas on fairy tales. So I wrote a fairy tale twist of Snow White and there was an eighth dwarf named Mediocre. And all of the dwarves hated him because he was neither grumpy nor happy, is what I said. And in the story, Mediocre is so mad and so angered towards the other dwarves that he goes and gets recruited by the evil queen to kill Snow White. And so he goes back and he kills Dopey, he kills (laughs) Snow White, Uh, he kills several of the seven dwarves, not all of them though. And I remember <laughs> the ending of the story was that the the dwarves went to find Mediocre after he ran away and they found him that he had hung himself. What? <laughs> and <laughs> How did this not make said, the, di- the Disney version? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, I said in my short story that that was because uh, the, the the lesson, the moral of the story is that it's never good to be mediocre. It's never good to ride the fence. You need to either be one thing or the other. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. uh, take that for what you will, listener. <laughs> There's a reason that story is not published. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but no, that's a good point. It's it's true. It's like so the Pistons yeah. and the Bulls might as well go hang themselves. Is what we're saying. honestly they, they might as well. Well, that's what we're frustrated about today. What about you? Share your frustrations with us or about us at Real FN Podcast on Twitter or nationoffrustration at gmail.com. Or go voice your frustrations and leave us a review. And if you're frustrated that this episode is over because you want to hear more, be sure to look for new episodes every Thursday everywhere you can get podcasts. Lastly, if searching for our podcast every week frustrates you, then just subscribe to save yourself the frustration. It also saves us the frustration of having no subscribers. Now get out there and frustrate the hate.